the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Right, Abigail? It is. (laughs) And we're going to find out what that's going to look like very soon. We Mm -hmm. are going to be chatting with Christine Truen from Minnesota Parent Alliance because she is going to chat a little bit more with all of us about what is coming up on November 7th. That's right. We've got school board elections coming Mm -hmm. up. So everybody put that on your calendar. And when you put it on your calendar, don't just write it on there. Turn on the alert and maybe the second alert, too, if you're like me so that you go and vote for your local school board Mm -hmm. members. Christine, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. I'm always delighted to be on this show. Oh, well, you are doing a fantastic job with a relatively young organization, Christine. I think that uh, Minnesota Parent Alliance was only founded about two years ago, right? Yeah, that's right. I remember being on your show and we were just sort of a baby organization just getting started, which I very much feel like we still are. But <laughs> it's actually, this has been a fun like uh, archive of our journey. I think we, we came on your show once when we were just getting started and yep. we've been on a couple of times since to talk about some of the progress that we've had and some of the success. And I'm back today to <laughs> give yes. you an update on what we're doing next. I love it. Well, before we go into the update too much, let's have you quickly summarize for our listeners is really the vision and mission of the Minnesota Parent Alliance. Yeah, so uh, we started in 2022, the spring of 2022 officially, um, and the purpose, the mission of our organization is to educate and empower Minnesota parents to be strong advocates for academic achievement, equality, and parental rights in their local communities. Mm. It's a great, a lofty goal right now for sorry. sure. Right, I was just gonna say this is a lofty goal, and I love the word the, the word equality um, yeah, versus equity, important. and I think it's an important distinction. And maybe just you know, I think most of our listeners know that distinction, but I think it's an important one. And um, you're looking for equal opportunities and not trying to create equal outcomes. And yeah, and you know, we we are struggling with that a little bit in in the sense that we're trying to do some messaging around, again, our values as an organization and sort of that juxtaposed to what we're seeing in our public schools and what's being reflected in 
policy and, and post practices. Um, equity is a really damaged word. And mm-hmm. so it it's really challenging not to say that you, you are for that, because I think to many people, equity sounds like a wonderful thing that we mm-hmm. all want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a, a bit of confusion um, with the term equality and how very different those terms are. And when we've teased this out in conversations with many individuals kind of across the political spectrum, we find that the two cannot coexist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it is a one or the other. It's very much that you you really believe that all people and all students in this situation um, ought to be treated equally and given equal opportunities to succeed and reach their highest potential mm-hmm. versus equity, which by definition really means the manipulation of outcomes mm-hmm. so that all students arrive at the same place, regardless of, of their journey and what their needs mm-hmm. are. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's nuanced in it. I think, again, it's really challenging to message on that because the average person maybe doesn't see that distinction until you really have the opportunity to discuss it at length. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. that when mm-hmm. people feel that they're running for, you know, whether it's their local school board or people that are sort of higher up on the on the ticket talking about these issues, um, it's not a quick soundbite. It's a no. whole discussion. And no. That's a really hard thing to put on a, a campaign flyer or on a website because it requires a little bit more than probably what we have time for on your show. But I think equality is something that people deeply understand and that they can get behind. And that's why we chose that term to utilize in our intermission mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Well, and even for um, as you talking, as you said, teasing out the difference, I think it's helpful to provide examples. And when you're talking about mm-hmm. equity and, and having equal outcomes, regardless of circumstances, you're talking about Equity and grading. You're talking about, you know, equity and discipline, which basically in the order to get that, you have to lower the standard um, mm-hmm. to the lowest, lowest common denominator. And therefore, having discipline in a classroom is suddenly not equitable because there are certain groups that might be more disposed in in educators' minds for um acting out because maybe they don't have a father in the home or maybe they have a drug addict for a mother. And so then we can't expect as much of them. And rather than holding that bar and helping people achieve it, it's it's providing a way out, which seems um, caring in the moment, but it's certainly not caring for the long term. If we really want to help children that are in these dire circumstances, then we need to come alongside them and provide them opportunities to succeed rather than just saying, oh, it's okay, you don't need to do this because you don't have a mom at home to help you, or you don't have to be respectful because we know you're not being taught that at home. Um, and that's unfortunately where we're seeing education going in the name of equity, right? Yeah, and, and it's just, it is, it's heartbreaking to, um, you know, kind of engage with students who have been told that, you know, they're only capable of so much based probably on some identity politics issues, mm-hmm. you know, that your your ceiling of what you can achieve is here. And yeah. we're going to lower everybody down to that standard that we think you're only capable of. Um, it's a disservice to everybody. Yes. And I often speak about, I think that mental health is a significant issue right now. Mm-hmm. But I am very worried that despite the fact that I think, you know, we're at a very low point in terms of the mental health decline that we've seen. I worry that we're just this is just the tip of the iceberg because I really believe that the true mental health crisis that is up and coming is when we're graduating students out of the K-12 system that don't have the skills that they need to achieve and maybe all the way along they were told they're doing fine they're meeting the mark they're you know meeting these very low expectations but the adult world um, has a much higher standard it's a higher bar to achieve and whether you're talking about behavior standards and and conduct 
or you're talking about actual academic, you know, achievement, um, it's going to be a very rude awakening, I think, for some of these students that that were really sort of uh, misinformed in their mm-hmm. education about the real need for striving for excellence in, in a way that I don't believe that we're, um, we're, again, helping come alongside those students to do at the K-12 K level. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, these, mm-hmm. are, these are deep, deep problems. And so I think, you know, because people are starting to really recognize this, um, I think that these initiatives that I think have been very damaging for our students have been going on for years and mm-hmm. somewhat under the radar. But now um, it's revealed itself in the sense that we are graduating students out. And when you're hearing from the business community that the product of our K-12 system is relatively unemployable in many mm-hmm. in many ways, mm-hmm. um, that's alarming. And yes. so now people are starting to say, how did we get here? How is it possible that we've graduated at a rate of, you know, in the 80 percentage, you know, mm-hmm. rate of graduation rate, but but 60 percent or less can't do math. I mean, right. it's it's it, there's a real disconnect between we think that we have these great schools because we look at these high graduation rates, but when a, a percentage of them are functionally illiterate, um, it's a real disservice to students to say that they're ready to go out into the adult world. They're mm-hmm. they're not equipped. Mm-hmm. And and how heartbreaking for them to then have that reality. And you know, at that point, it's too late. We always say. A child only gets one chance at an education. You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, we see trends in education come and go, but the reality is every child gets one chance at an education. And mm-hmm. if they are not being, being given the right opportunities and they graduate and now our society realizes, oh boy, maybe we've made a mistake. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope we realize that and go back and fix it. But for that group of students, it's over. They they are already. Yes, I agree. They're done, and and it's just it's so unfair to them, and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. As much as I believe in lifelong learning, you yeah. have to have the foundational knowledge to be able to be a lifelong learner to right. know how to educate yourself. And yeah. if you can't read by a certain age, um, that is an uphill battle that is incredibly hard for someone to climb mm-hmm. once they realize that you know they they have those needs at, at the adult age even. Right. Um, so literacy should be front and center, in my mm-hmm. opinion, and. In every conversation. And I think that's really what our group has been desperately trying to do, because I think that there are so many other issues that get injected into discussions about K-12 education that really distract from that fundamental mission to make sure that we have a literate population uh-huh. that has basic skills and numeracy and a basic education in civics and um, really foundational things that they need to be full and functional human beings in the adult world. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm, I'm quick to try to redirect every conversation conversation um, toward those kind of unifying common ground shared values for mm-hmm. our system because mm-hmm. we're not going to agree on all the rest and and we don't have to I think if we stay really mission driven and we center ourselves in you know what is the main point of our public schools and mm-hmm. what is the outcome the desired outcome um, we are able to come together on that and I think it more <laughs> in, in bigger numbers than than some people might believe I think it's very easy to look at the headlines right now and um, you know, think, oh, we're just living in this really divided, broken world and nobody can agree on anything. And um, I think we should all be able to agree on the mission of our public schools. And Mm -hmm. so we're we're Mm -hmm. hoping to get there. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been doing great work and we're happy for that. And maybe you want to shift gears a little bit over to the upcoming school board elections. Which Um, is uh, drawing the Mm -hmm. attention of even the Minnesota Mm -hmm. Teachers Union. Yes, I think you're having an impact. (laughs) Um, I think you are too. Yeah. Um, Parents are mighty. And, you know, I, I really spend a lot of my time doing that, just telling parents, listen, you have so much 
um, you're such a force of good or you're such a potential force of good in this conversation that's so needed. And I think that, you know, we as parents sometimes I think can like uh, lose our confidence in our ability to not just like educate our own children, but to really be impactful in our local communities in a, in a really positive way. And I think that, yes, it takes time and energy, but there is no more important thing to do, in my opinion, um, than to make sure that the future of our children is, is secure and strong. And so if that requires, <laughs> you know, whether it's running for school board or just talking to your kid's teacher a little bit more frequently than you, you currently do, um, it's so important. And so parents should feel like they have the skills and, and that they belong in those conversations. I think that we're all too quick sometimes to, like, trust the experts and think that somebody else knows better than, than we do. But um, parents belong in every conversation where decisions about their kids are being made. So mm-hmm. I really always just try to speak into that first and foremost. And we um, we have an engagement guide that we put out this year to try to just set that tone for, like, what is the approach that we're coming into this with? And um, it's really important for parents to recognize how critical it is that they get involved and how to do it right and how to do it well. I think mm-hmm. that you shouldn't wait until there's something that's upsetting to you for you to get involved in your kid's life and, and to pay attention to what's coming home in their backpack or to have the conversation with the teacher or, you know, take it up the chain of command and, and have conversations with, you know, administrators and, and district leadership. Um, you should you should start building those relationships when you don't have concerns. Right. <laughs> Just out of the idea that, like, mm-hmm. you're, you're the parent and, mm-hmm. and then you want to build a relationship with the people that spend most of the day with your kids. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that we're really trying to reframe this. I think that over the last few very tumultuous years of parents getting very upset about a variety of things that are happening in our schools, um, we've sort of lost sight of, you know, we should be starting from a positive place because we have a positive future in mind. And so I think I've also tried to really speak into the fact that, like, this isn't necessarily a battle to be fought and won so much as it's an opportunity to embrace and engage with. You have the power to be that, you know, influence of positive change. So we're really trying to make sure that the parents that are running for their school board or the parents that are, you know, showing up at a school board meeting um, really put that on their heart as the reason why they're doing this. It's mm-hmm. not to fight with their friends and neighbors about culture wars. It's to improve our K-12 system and make sure that there's a bright vision in, in, in the future here. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so our great. engagement guide that's on our, on our website is something that we kind of offer to people to just, you know, read it through. It's, it's short enough, but I think it really covers um, the main pieces here of, of what we're driving at. And we, <laughs> we've sort of adopted this. It might be just a little too cutesy, but it's like the three R's of, you know, what we're trying to do, which it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic, although those are important and we should definitely be focusing on those. Right. But, um, and it's about reigniting parents' interest and desire to become active participants in their child's education. Mm-hmm. That's so important to just reignite that spark for parents that they need to pay attention and get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to rebuild trust <laughs> because yes. the rebuild is important. Right now, there's a really fractured trust, though, between parents and teachers and develop those p- parent-teacher relationships because that's the number one driver of positive student outcomes. So mm-hmm. the rebuild has to happen. And then we're going to return public education in Minnesota. Minnesota is the number one. We're determined to do this because Minnesota, you know how to do this. I, I tell people all the time, if you grew up in Minnesota, they have like a lot of pride in their public schools that like there was a time when, you know, they were kind of the envy of coastal states and, you know, our public school system uh, was relatively good compared to the rest of the nation. And we can get back to that place, but we have to stay centered in our work and centered in our mission. So as it relates to the school board election, um, that's what we've been speaking into candidates that are running when we've provided, you know, some training to potential candidates as they've wanted to step forward in their community 
and and take this on um, is to really anchor them in sort of what you know the guiding principles of this work are and, and in our opinion it is just that it's trying to stay positive focused and trying to talk a lot more about what we're for than what we're against mm-hmm. and I can see where that would be very very important um, if you're running for school board because as you said you are wanting to attract as many people as possible to a vision of trying to make the schools better that's the whole purpose of sitting on a school board um, but you have attracted the ire of Minnesota uh, the biggest Minnesota teachers union in the state education Minnesota yeah. and actually um, maybe we'll go ahead and ask Spencer to play a clip from a news conference that they'd had just a week ago today on the 28th of oh September <laughs> and what we're what we're hearing is um, the stakes have never been higher um, you know, these school board races are happening in places where perhaps, um, you know, there haven't been contested elections um, or uh, maybe it's been, you know, the local banker who has an interest in strong schools or maybe it's um, a student's grandparent who wants to give back to the schools that have given so much to their family. Um, but what we are finding is that there are more and more contested races Um, uh, these candidates aren't coming from, you know, a lot of times they're being funded from a national agenda um, and getting national money. In fact, um, we are very aware that I think in last year in in Brainerd, there were about, I think there was about $40,000 spent in a race that typically would not have had anybody. Um, Outside of the state mailers coming from um, southwestern Minnesota, um, with an interest in what is going on in Brainerd, Minnesota, you have to ask yourself why. So that was oh, Denise, I'm just dying that was right Denise, now. I'm just dying. I just want to say that was Denise Schlecht, um, from who is the president of the Minnesota Teachers Union Education Minnesota, and I I do really encourage our listeners to go and listen to that entire 30 minute news conference. Um, it might make your blood boil, but at the same time, it's I'm important. Very, I'm to very know. calm over here. About yes, I'm very I, calm. Well, I can tell Abigail. She's like <laughs> she's like jumping out of her chair. Um, but it, it is very hard to to sit and listen. I will say to that news conference. Um, Minnesota Parent Alliance is called a a hate group and um, constantly referring to the Southern Poverty Law Center as the the guide of what is considered a hate group and not. And we already know that Southern Poverty Law Center is left of center anyway. So um, all this to say, um, you're clearly making an impact. You You were called out, your organization was called out in the news conference specifically because you are educating school board candidates. So clearly you are making a difference and I know it can't be fun to be the target. Um, Do you have some things that you'd like to say maybe in response to that news conference? Yeah, you know, I I didn't know it was coming. I will say that. I mean, we knew it was coming in the sense that I Education Minnesota is very threatened by parents wanting to be involved in their kids' lives. And so that in and of itself should tell you everything you need to know about Education Minnesota. Right, right. Um, but I think that, you know, that conference and, and sort of what appeared to be an effort to just 
stir up uh, fear, division, like there was name calling. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was just about the most negative, uh, just sad yes. <laughs> conversation that they could have put forth into the public. It was public fear mongering for sure. Mm-hmm. It was, and and I guess you know, for me, that was kind of like, okay, well, thanks for setting up that contrast because mm-hmm. we have these dedicated, invested parents that are trying to approach this with a positive vision, and certainly we're not a hate group. Right. Um, you know, right. I think that actually when you look at our panel of, of candidates, I, I would bet that they're actually much more diverse in, in many ways than the, you know, union endorsed slate of candidates. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that when they're doing this, when they're hosting press conferences to villainize parents and stir up division where there would not be any, um, really shows you know, their strategy, that's what they're about. And they're so distracted on those things. And they're so interested in being divisive that there was not in that 30 minute press conference, not one mention of academic achievement. Right. That's what I was going to say, too. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. We are at 30 year, like literally we are at 30 year lows in math and reading. And at not one point were they, you know, trying to, and I just, I think it was a huge myth. I don't know who advises them in their (laughs) their public engagement, but you know, how do you not address that to the people of Minnesota that we are spending the most on education and the results have never been worse? Um, Obviously they don't want to own that, but I think that's the conversation that we have to have. Um, You know, that sort of accountability of the adults in the room to say, wow, we are getting this wrong and how can we be solutions focused rather than trying to gin up some sort of, you know, identity politics, hatred amongst, you know, family and friends of people in districts that you're not going to agree on stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I think that rather than focusing on gender ideology or racism or whatever else they want to talk about, um, that's not helping our students. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it's making it worse for them because, again, you know, I think their mental health is really struggling because they're living in this pressure cooker of, you know, identity politics and what they can and can't say. And I see it with the parents. So I can only imagine how it is with students. You know, there are parents that are like, oh, I'm like, I agree with you, but like, I can't say anything because they're going to get bullied by people like Denise Beck, who are going to call them a white Christian nationalist. I mean, that's insane. Um, So I think we've gotten to this point where, you know, I I don't like to use the term enemy, but if we have one enemy, it's the teachers union Mm -hmm. and it's not teachers. And I think that's another distinction that I have to make repeatedly is it's like, Teachers are with us because they're also parents and mm-hmm. they want to have a close relationship with students' parents because they know that that's going to help them do their job yeah. um, to educate students. And so there's nobody who wants to have a relationship more with parents than good teachers. <laughs> um, so the, the union is not speaking for your kid's favorite teacher, I can guarantee. The union has a different agenda and they revealed that during this press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of okay in my book that, you know, though it was really cringy to listen to what was just, you know, a whole slew of false claims and name calling and all the rest. It was dark and it was hard to listen to, um, but it was really revealing. And I, I, I think that's only going to work in the favor of candidates who are stepping into their local community with the good intention of saying, we just, we have to get this right for our kids. And we're not going to do that by focusing on whatever this crazy agenda is that mm-hmm. the union has because mm-hmm. um, the, the things that the union politically and financially profits from are not the things that are going to help your child reach their highest potential. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, the whole the whole theme, as you pointed out, was non-academic in nature, and it was all about providing, in their minds, their idea of safe cl- classrooms, right, for 
people of all who? different genders, all different whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. like you said, there was a lot of name calling. But one of the things that really stood out to me is that a number of times, um, Denise and even and some of the speakers that they had kept referencing age appropriate reading material. Oh my gosh! And I thought, by whose standard? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, because they're frustrated that parents are now getting together to um, question some of the books that are being read mm-hmm. in classes across districts, and they're asking for lists of books and what have you. And, mm-hmm. you know, their, their, their defense is that, well, the teachers know best, which is, you know, that's exactly why Youngkin got elected in Virginia, mm-hmm. because he said, mm-hmm. no, actually, parents know best. Um, but Denise ended the news conference with a statement and and one of the things she said these are educators they're professionals they know what age appropriate lessons are we need to trust them or something to that effect and mm-hmm. i thought well this is precisely what's making parents so upset is that they can't trust and and your point of needing to rebuild trust with our mm-hmm. nation's k12 schools and the parents it's to me that is the core. But until we can see changes being made so that parents can trust their schools, mm-hmm. um, we really, I don't, I don't know how we can rebuild that trust. And yeah. well, I think this is the way we do it. And we're doing yeah. it right now. And I think it was revealing in this press conference that parents and teachers know how to do this work together. They know how to lock arms and partner and make sure that the child that they're serving and parenting is like they're coming right alongside that child to give them what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to get special interests and unions and all these other players out of the middle of that relationship. And so little by little, that is our goal with, you know, our initiative to put, you know, parent-centered leadership on school boards to say, let's set policies and practices and make sure that our school buildings are a place where that parent-teacher partnership is valued. Mm -hmm. And we don't have these intervening forces of, you know, political agendas that that get in the middle of what should be a really sacred relationship between parents and teachers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And focusing on, on the academics and the reading and the math, as you point it out is so important too. And I think if you can change that narrative to, are we really doing the best we can academically? We know we're not. We know we're not because our test scores have have revealed that. And so if your school board candidates can really reshape the the conversation um, to be about, let's make our schools the best they can be, um, and I will I say think that helps. you don't mm-hmm. need to be a school board member to influence change. And I actually think the most powerful change makers happen on an individual basis. When you forge a close relationship with your child's teacher mm-hmm. and you have visibility and knowledge of how their classroom time is spent, that's a conversation starter. And I think that's where we need to start because there are a finite number of minutes in the day for academic instruction. And when you really look at the time spent and you have a relationship with your child's teacher and you understand kind of the cadence of their day and what they're spending time on, mm-hmm. and then you realize, well, my kid is struggling and I just, I had to hire a reading tutor recently because they're really behind. But I see here that we're spending, you know, whatever amount of time on all of these non-academic pursuits. Right. That's a conversation that we should be having of how can we shift the balance in the classroom to make sure that we're spending the time that we need on academic instruction so that all of the kids can can benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a there's definitely a, a 
part in that conversation that has to address discipline and just classroom conduct. I know that teachers are struggling with that more now than ever mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, are there policies in the building that are being consistently applied that relate to supporting teachers having the ability to control their classroom mm-hmm. um, so that they can deliver that academic instruction? And I know that, you know, one of the really upsetting outcomes, I think, from this last legislative session was um, removing exclusionary discipline for K-3 learners because there are students that need to be removed from the classroom because they're chronically disruptive or violent. Mm -hmm. And not be able to do that is disservicing all the other students in that classroom because they can't learn when there is somebody who um, continues to to take that teacher time away from students that need it. So I think that, you know, there's a real conversation to have it. I mean, this is such a multi-pronged, like thorny thing that, you know, we have to kind of unravel all the different issues that are at play here. But there's no one better to do that than the teacher who's in the room dealing with it all day. Yep. And the parents. Honest suggestions. And the parents. parents. And then put the pressure on their district leadership to say, I talk to my kid's teacher all the time and they are struggling with this. How do we make this right for them so that everybody can learn? Yeah. Christine. Christine. They really have a role to play. Hey, Christine. Christine, you have done such a great job, and we're down to seconds. So I just want to say again, Christine Truen, our Minnesota Parent Alliance, thank you for all of your excellent work. Check out their website. Have a good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.